Hey, Theo bros and Theo sisters. I want to give a special shout out to my man, Jake Bond, who writes music for the band Thief to King. He's an incredible artist. You can check out his music on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere you get his music. Um, His music is worshipful, deep. I talk about it in one of my podcasts. I interview him. Go check out that podcast and, and have a listen for yourself. You'll be extremely edified. That's Jake Bond of Thief to King. Listening to the Theo Bros podcast, where we're always reforming, Christ is King, and we love sound theology. Janet Mefford, she is an esteemed reporter and award winning Christian radio broadcaster. She was heard on more than 450 radio stations nationwide during her 12 years of daily national syndication. She is also a former news and religion reporter and editor for newspapers, including the Dallas Morning News and the Daily Herald in suburban Chicago. Um, Janet, do you miss radio? Wow, that's a great question. Justin, first of all, thanks so much for having me. Do I miss radio? It, that's, I don't know. You go back and forth on that a little bit. It depends on the hour that you're asking me the question. I love radio. I'm continuing to be uh, continuing to be immersed in it somewhat just as a listener, but as a host, not yet, uh, not quite yet. I think I needed a furlough for now. I retired at the end of December and it was a, an appropriate time for me to take some time away. If it's a permanent furlough, I'm not sure yet, but I love it so much. I'm never really disconnected from radio. So I don't miss it yet because I still listen to it. How's, I, I don't know if that's adequate, but that's where I am. That makes that makes sense. I'm glad you you joined this humble little podcast. Um, it's fun to like interview you. You've done 20 million interviews yourself throughout <laughs> the years, and and so now you're being interviewed, and and it's kind of I'm you know I'm a little I'm 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 excited. I'm thrilled. I'm I'm humbled you would join me. I have another question. Do you miss beautiful, glorious Illinois? Oh man, the People's Republic of Illinois. No, I miss, <laughs> I miss people. I miss the people there. We have family there, and we okay fre- frequently return because we have family there, and of course we have tons of friends who still live there. And I love where I grew up, but I don't love what's been done to my home state. So, nope, I don't miss. I don't miss it as is. I wish all of the people there whom we know and love would leave. That would well, help, that- and I'd never have to go back. This is, you know, I'm I'm interviewing you from Illinois. This is my home state um, as well. Oh, so you so you know. I know. So you I'm, know. Paying the, I'm paying the taxes right now, Janet. Oh, bless you. Come to Texas, yes. Justin. So are you are you more in the Chicago north northern part of Illinois, central, southern? I don't know if you reveal that, but where I'm in I'm in central Illinois. I actually live in Princeton, Illinois. Right oh, of course, inter- you yes. know. So you know, you know the pain. You understand. I, You're living it, the pain. It hurts. Illinois is like California, but without beaches and stuff. Exactly. So, the corn fields and the soybeans just don't make up for it, do they? I, I'm going to stick it out. I think there needs to be a Christian witness here. You know, there's a lot of people leaving. Um, so, but, you know, I don't know how long. We'll see. We may we may end up moving this entire church to like Texas or Tennessee at some point, <laughs> depending on depending on uh, Pritzker. So, yeah. 
Jen, well, good, I, good for you, Justin. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I, I really wanted to have you on to talk about the issues surrounding Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and just the rank mistreatment of Tom and Jennifer Buck. It really what amounts to blackmail um, to keep him quiet about the SBC's drift into wokeness and liberalism. Um, today is the SBC presidential election, and for many conservative Christians, this is their final stand. Um, you've invested just so much time in looking at the facts of the Bucks case, and I'm I'm just so grateful for that. We need your voice. I know you've retired um, from broadcasting, but we really do need your voice. Why is this story such a big deal for my listeners and really anyone with interest in the Great Commission? Well, that is a great question, and it goes back, I think, quite a few years. I can just return, for example, to... 2014, when I heard Russell Moore, the former head of the ERLC, making his comments about listening to Christian talk radio, and if all he knew of Christianity was what he heard on Christian talk radio, he'd hate Christianity too. Mm. And I talked about that on my show and followed him ever since and all the way to his, I won't say ouster, but his resignation and his new career over at Christianity Today as a public theologian. To me, that was the turning point in the Southern Baptist Convention. My involvement as a reporter with the Southern Baptist Convention actually goes all the way back to my college years. And a lot of people don't know that. But when I was at Baylor University, I worked on the school paper there called the Lariat. And Baylor is on the liberal side of things. But it was not too many years after the conservative resurgence. And when I became a reporter at the Lariat, I had the religion beat. So I was privy to all of what had gone on in the SBC in 1979. This was later in the 80s, but I um, got into that and started getting into SBC politics and understanding everything that had preceded me. And of course, I knew nothing about the Southern Baptists back then. I had grown up in a different denomination and I was from Chicago, so I didn't know anything at the time. But I followed the SBC for a very long time. And what I have seen in recent years, to me, has a lot of... I would say parallels to what went on originally during the conservative resurgence and in the years that followed. Russell Moore is just, I think, a turning point. When when he came on board and the elite started showing more of their hand, it became more and more obvious to Christians, and it was a slow burn, really. There were a lot of people who didn't believe that there had been a turn until much, much later. But I think being on the front lines in Christian radio and dealing with this all the time and dealing with people behind the scenes, I think I saw it maybe earlier than some people did and really tried to call it out. Where the bucks are right now is important because we are to the point now where the Southern Baptist Convention, having recently had the Sexual Abuse Task Force release this report that Guidepost was doing regarding sexual abuse, how the executive committee handled sexual abuse cases, and all of the politics that have been involved in it since Russell Moore, uh, his letter was, quote unquote, leaked conveniently right before the last SBC annual meeting. It's important because it shows hypocrisy. Hmm. And here's what I mean by that. These people have found it. I'm not saying they don't care about sexual abuse and the problem of sexual abuse or sexual abuse victims. But it was very convenient that all of a sudden they had an epiphany as to their convictions about it right around the time of Me Too. I'm sorry, but I'm a little cynical about that because some of those very people couldn't have cared less about it when I was talking about it in 2012. And I did talk about it in 2012, not 
the SBC specifically, but the problem of sexual abuse in evangelical churches. Nobody much was talking about it at the time, and I got blowback for talking about it. So I watched this develop in 2018, and I thought, okay, well, now they have to talk about it because the Me Too movement is driven so much by people on the left. So they're going to go in that direction. Where we are now with the Bucks is it's a point of exposure of hypocrisy. Here you have a woman who wanted to share her testimony. This is Jennifer Buck. She wanted to talk and has been talking in churches for some 30 years with Tom, her husband, about what occurred early in their marriage. Both Tom and Jennifer have revealed that they have had abuse in their own backgrounds. They didn't want to get into the details about it because it's personal and anybody who understands, you know, family dynamics and what goes on behind the scenes, they didn't want to get into it. But it was in Jennifer's original rough draft that she just sent to Karen Swallow Pryor to get some feedback and to get editing and and kind of, you know, this is what you do. If you're not a writer and you're not somebody who's used to writing or putting out reports of any kind or essays of any kind, whatever you want to call it, you send it to somebody who you think, okay, well, this is kind of more their wheelhouse. Could you take a look at what I've written and give me some feedback on it? That was what Jennifer did. And the reason she did it was because during the Me Too movement, it seemed to her that all we were hearing were stories where, you know, the husband got it at the end and the woman was liberated mm-hmm. and she got a divorce and all the rest. And she said, you know, in the case of my marriage with Tom, he sinned against me in the early years of our marriage and the Lord got a hold of him and he repented and our marriage was transformed. And I want to give hope to some other women who may be in a similar situation to say, all is not necessarily lost. Sometimes the Lord will turn things around. That's all she wanted to do. And for doing that, she ended up going through all this, which we'll get into, where the rough draft was leaked and people who had political motivations decided to communicate to Tom Buck through various channels that uh, we've got your rough draft and we might release it. Now, I can tell you why that's not as big a deal as they're leading you to believe. But now we have an instance of blackmail or attempted blackmail, and then they go through everything they've gone through with trying to deal with it behind the scenes in a Matthew 18 sort of way and how that's been blown up. Now you're at the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting. We'll see how much sexual abuse victims actually matter to these elites by how they treat Jennifer Buck and if they're willing to move forward on an independent investigation into what happened to her and Tom. As you have poked and, and prodded and asked questions of certain individuals, um, have you experienced any heat from SBC leadership? Have you been pressured to stay quiet or has leadership mostly avoided you? They have completely avoided me. I have not had anybody in SBC leadership approach me or threaten me or say anything to me at all. Now, <laughs> my own theory on that, I, I don't know for sure why. Well, I, I can guess why, but I have had that in the past, though. Not from these particular people, but from others who are high in the ranks of the SBC. I've had other people come to me before and try to pull those kinds of deals, and it doesn't work anyway. So, so, so they know no, it doesn't nobody's, work. Yeah, not <laughs> that, know it never it works. Does, yeah, that's right. They know it doesn't work, so they're, they're not going to even try. I appreciate that. Um, so let's talk through some of the main players in this story, um, and, and then I'll let you kind of again, walk through the timeline in the details and, and just interrupt me if there's anything you'd like to add. Um, we have 
of course, as we've mentioned, Tom and Jennifer Buck. Tom is the pastor of FBC Lindale. He's the director of G3 Expository Workshops. And what's what's truly interesting in all this is that he's defended Karen Swallow prior in the past against accusations of liberal leanings. And he's gotten a lot of flack from it, from, from the more conservative side of the field. Then we have Willie Rice. He's the pastor of Calvary Church in Clearwater, Florida, and has had and has been the leading candidate for the SBC presidency. Um, he was. According to servantsandheralds.com, he had the backing from the centrist and institutional leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention, and it was revealed that he had ordained as a deacon a man who was known to the congregation to have had a sexual relationship with an 18-year-old girl when he was a teacher. So Willie stepped down. Then we have, of course, Karen Swallow Pryor, the research professor of English and Christianity and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. She is well-known. She's highly regarded. We have Keith Whitfield, um, associate professor of theology, provost and dean of graduate studies at the SEBTS. And then if we have Danny Aiken, the SEBTS president, and then finally, David Bumgardner, who write, writes or he wrote for Baptist News Global. Um, he's mainly known for asking to turn the air conditioning on at a Southern Baptist <laughs> convention. Yes. Um, yes. That's that's really his his claim to fame there. He's a young kid, um, enjoys the limelight, it appears, although he did delete his Twitter account recently. Yes. Uh, anything else you want to add about the, the main characters here? Other than it sounds a little bit like a Leo Tolstoy novel with all those players. <laughs> <laughs> Janet, there are a lot of parts of the story. Um, you've kind of touched on it, but could you give us a, a summary of Buckgate, as some are calling it, beginning in April of 2018, and just kind of walk us through the details as best you can and bring us to where the story lies today. Just paint a, paint a big picture for us. Sure. Well, it is difficult to reduce it to a very small condensed Reader's Digest version because it is incredibly complicated. I have had people talk about the complicated way that the statement reads, our statement, the Buck statement, I should say, in response to Southeastern statements. And I tell these people, you don't know the half of it. <laughs> There's so much more to this. But th these are the details. Basically, here's how it went down. Back in 2018, this was when Jennifer Buck, as I had mentioned before, wanted to write a story of hope about her testimony concerning the early years of her marriage and how Tom had emotionally mistreated and abused her and at one point even slapped her on the wrist. And that was a wake up call for both of them, at which time an older godly couple who was mentoring them made a big difference. The Lord used them to call, really call Tom to repentance, and their marriage was saved and redeemed, and they've been telling that testimony in churches for a long time, very long time. Jennifer's not a writer. She's not a public figure. She just wanted to be able to tell her story. So what happened was that she had put together some initial thoughts, and that's all they really were, and she said this to me. She said, I was just, I'm not a writer. I don't really know how to write, but I just kind of scratched it out like you would in a diary. And we didn't know who to send it to, to take a look at it, to evaluate it. But we thought, well, let's try Karen Swallow Pryor. She's an English professor and she has these kinds of skills. Let's see what she says. The rough draft, and it was a very, very, very rough draft, was sent over to Dr. Pryor, who took a look at it, but at the time didn't have adequate time to really edit it. 
And she later said that she she doesn't edit things anyway. She she just took a look at it and she read it and so forth. But she didn't have time to deal with it. And around that same time, many people will remember that she was in an accident where she was hit by a bus. And because she was hit by a bus and ended up in the hospital, she really didn't have time to, to delve into it. What occurred from there was she had sent the rough draft to an editor, a women's editor, the women's section editor. I can't recall exactly what her title is over at Christianity Today. And it's been confirmed again that, yes, that was done. And yes, Jennifer, who had forgotten initially that she gave permission for that to happen, Karen produced the emails and Jennifer remembered, oh, yes, okay, yes, I did agree that Christianity Today, the editor over there, could take a look at the rough draft. It went nowhere. Christianity Today passed on doing anything about the story. And the Bucks assumed that nobody else had seen it. There was an email exchange with a woman at SBC Voices, but no PDF was attached to the email. And so, you know, from their knowledge, it was never sent over to SBC Voices. And that was it. And they thought they thought everything was, you know, it, it just nothing ever came of it. What happened with the Willie Rice situation? Willie Rice, as a lot of people will know, was supposed to be running for the presidency of the SBC. And Tom knew of this man you've mentioned who was at Willie Rice's church as a deacon, and the man did have an abuse background, as you mentioned, with a young girl. He wanted to alert Willie, especially in light of the sexual abuse victim attention that the SBC has lately given to this whole issue with the report and all the rest. He wanted to notify Willie, hey, just so you know, because you might not know, this deacon of yours has this background. As a result of doing that, the, the deacon was, you know, that situation was handled, but Willie Rice ended up dropping out of the race. So all of a sudden, it's political. There were many people who assumed that Tom had warned Willie, hey, either drop the deacon or I'm going to expose you. You better drop out of the race. These kinds of accusations. Tom says, that never happened. I, I never told Willie he should step down or step out of the race. I just wanted him to know. Well, I believe, and the Bucks believe, that's where it really turned political. And all of a sudden, they learned that people had copies of Jennifer's rough draft. The rough draft somehow made it into certain SBC circles and was seen by a number of people. And they were very concerned about this. Now, the reason they were concerned about this is because when I mentioned before that both of them had abuse backgrounds, Jennifer was more explicit in the rough draft about their abuse backgrounds than they wanted to reveal publicly. Now, I can say, as somebody who is a reporter for years and a writer for years, that's what rough drafts are for. You start, especially if you're a, a new writer, you start with your initial thoughts and you edit stuff out. That's normal. <laughs> and this was why she sent it to Karen Swallow prior to begin with, because she needed help. What happened from there was that the rough draft, Tom was told, uh, because he had had a Zoom call and he had had contact on the Willie Rice matter, and there's a lot there, but let's just say it generally. He was told that if you release the video that you have of this call, then people are threatening to release your rough draft. Mm. Now, there's blackmail right there. There's blackmail right there. Either you do this or else we're going to do this. When Baptist News Globe, okay, so backing up, so April 7th, I believe it was, Jennifer decided to get ahead of it. And she said, I'm, I'm going to tell my own story before they have a chance to do anything. I'm going to tell my own story my own way. So she went back to her story and she released it on the G3 Ministries website. After that, somebody 
sent a copy of the rough draft to Baptist News Global. And according to the reporter on that April 11th story, David Bumgardner, he doesn't even know who sent that that rough draft to BNG. Hmm. They couldn't confirm, um, you know, some of the details that they needed to confirm in order to print it, nor should they have printed it. That would have been reprehensible. But they wrote kind of about it. Um, they, they talked about in their story, David Baumgartner's story, that Jennifer Buck had written her story over at G3 about her background of abuse and Tom Buck had abused her early in their marriage, etc. but then alluded to the rough draft. And that is so unethical, just from a journalistic standpoint. Why would you allude to a rough draft that you can't quote from and you won't even allow the reader to see in order to evaluate it? And to make that, that's just it violates all the norms of journalism and proves that this David didn't know what he was doing. He's not a journalist. He has no journalist training. It was a train wreck of a, a journalism moment. It was so unethical. And I got into it a little bit with him over it. And then he blocked me, of course. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's that was kind of a very important moment. Not kind of. It was a very important moment because now you've got a situation where they're alluding to the rough draft and it varies greatly in scope and detail from the final version. So what are they really doing? What they're really saying is we have the rough draft. We could release it at any time. You can't see it, but boy, is it different from what Jennifer Buck said. What are you doing? You're smearing somebody's reputation, first of all, because you're leading people to believe that the rough draft has some horrible, nefarious content that the bucks are hiding from you. Well, I've read the rough draft. I've read it many times. I have it in my possession. It's right here on my computer. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't vary greatly from the final thing. She had much more biblical exposition in it. That was one big difference is she did a lot more of talking about passages like Genesis 50 and God meant it for evil, but but uh, you meant it for evil. Sorry, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, which is what Joseph famously says to his brothers at the end of Genesis after all the suffering he went through. So she goes into Bible exposition. There was one part in the rough draft that was not conveyed accurately. She just kind of threw something in there about an instance involving um uh, Tom, her and Tom, and they talked about this, by the way, Justin, on a video that they put out on Twitter and they explained the whole thing. And they, and, but mainly what they were concerned about was um, not only clarifying that one section and how that could have been weaponized because people didn't understand what actually happened, but they talked about their abuse backgrounds in more detail than they wanted to talk about it in the final version. So, you know, here are all these people uh, who claim they care about abuse victims and abuse survivors. And, and and I will say there were some in the survivor community, if you want to call it that, who had a problem with BNG doing that because they said, you know, come on, this is a survivor. And, you know, the rough draft, that, that that's just sleazy. Like you shouldn't be telling a, a survivor's story. And, and by the way, David Bumgarner never contacted the Bucks to interview them for that story, which is another complete violation of ethics. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the compl- complicated thing of that. Um, to briefly finish the story, and then we can go back and do some details. Out of all of that, the Bucks wanted to get to the bottom of who leaked this rough draft. That was all they cared about, and that's all they still care about. Um, and they've had to deal with all these different people at Southeastern because Karen Swallow Pryor is the only person to whom Jennifer gave the rough draft. Uh, they've since obtained an affidavit from the Christianity Today uh, editor 
who says she never disseminated it to anybody either inside or outside of Christianity today. She's said that she doesn't, you know, she's, she hasn't signed an affidavit. I need to correct that. She hasn't signed an affidavit, but she has confirmed via email to Jennifer that she didn't disseminate it. So now Karen Swallow is the only one who had it. Mm-hmm. What, what happened? And that's all that Tom and Jennifer have been trying to figure out by going to Southeastern, by having these meetings with Southeastern officials, Karen Pryor, Keith Whitfield, and all that. Um, the only other thing I'll say, because I know this is getting long, is that another seminal moment was they found out that an anonymous texter came to Keith Whitfield, the provost at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, who is Karen Swallow Pryor's boss, and said, can you confirm the contents of the rough draft? Can Karen confirm the contents of the rough draft? Uh, stuff ensued from there. But um, that's what's been discussed about that. But the Bucks are saying, how did whoever called, first of all, the person who called Keith Whitfield, why did they contact Keith Whitfield instead of Karen? Mm-hmm. I mean, Karen's a public figure. You can figure out how to contact her. Second of all, um, wh- <laughs> uh, how did this person get it? Mm-hmm. These are questions that have to be answered because these people have been put through so much and it's so wrong. And yet they can't seem to get an investigation off the ground that means anything. Here you have Danny Aiken, the head of the seminary, shutting down the investigation before it ever meaningfully began. He says, yes, we did an investigation. No, they didn't. He, he went to Keith. He went to Karen. He did some internal things, checked some emails, so forth. But he shut down the independent investigation that they all had agreed to. Is, do you find it interesting that that they had guideposts, this third party abuse investigation within the SBC. And it was so essential for a third party to conduct this investigation, but guideposts didn't have anything to do with Buck's situation, nor are they a third party to do investigation. Don't you find that strange? Well, it's interesting that you would say that because guidepost was suggested as a potential third party when the Southeastern people and the Bucks were discussing whether or not uh, to have the investigation uh, handled by this firm or that firm. There was some discussion behind the scenes on who should handle it. And Guidepost was one of the suggested mm. entities to do that. Um, of course, now we know Guidepost is under fire from a lot of Southern Baptists, right, rightfully so, for saying they're an ally of the LGBTQ community. I mean, it's ridiculous. Why would any conservative denomination hire somebody like that well they say it's because you know you have to have people with certain qualifications and yeah it was, it was okay because of this and that but uh yeah I, I i i'm suspicious a little bit i don't know what goes through people's minds only the lord knows someone's mind and heart completely mm-hmm. but it sure looks weird that they were talking about an independent investigation and they just shut the whole thing down and it, that's not acting in good faith. It, it it does raise a lot more questions than give, you know, than it does give answers. Sure. Did you happen to watch the video clips that Tom Buck posted yesterday, uh, maybe yesterday, two days ago, um, with the interview, investigative interview between Aiken and Karen Swallow Pryor and and others? Did you happen to watch those video clips? Oh yes, I've watched the Zoom calls in their in their totality. I've mm-hmm. seen the entire that whole. Uh, those clips that he played of Karen Swallow Pryor's reaction, 
I've seen that whole call, the whole, it was like over two hours and I've watched the whole thing. Yeah. There's some, there are some claims out there that, that these clips that, that Tom comments on are taken out of context. Um, you've seen the videos in totality. Is that your impression? No, they're not taken out of context at all. And in what context would it be okay for Karen Swallow prior to say, somebody came to us and notified us that they had the rough draft and wanted me to verify the content. And I said to Keith, no, it would be wrong to publish it. Uh, you don't do that to a survivor. But I never quite got around to notifying the Bucks that someone had the rough draft. And the reason that she gives is, it's because I'm scared of you, Tom. I think you're a bully. Okay, I don't know, even if Tom were the worst guy in the world, <laughs> why would he be a bully to you when you're doing him a favor by calling him up and letting him know that someone has his rough draft? That doesn't even make any sense, nor does it make sense to say, I couldn't contact you because I'm scared of you. He can't do anything much to you over the phone, can he? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, when you could go to his wife. Mm -hmm. So send an email to Jennifer if you're that, scared of Tom. I mean, there's it's the lamest excuse. And to I me, think, that, that actually yeah. implies wanting to do harm to him. It, um, it does a little, doesn't it? Just a uh, bit. Yeah. Because, you know, even if he's a, a bully and he's said mean things to you in the in the past, if you have this information, particularly, it, it's not even, if you have this information about his wife, um, why couldn't she contact his his wife through all this if she was afraid uh, of Tom? That didn't add up to me. And there was another instance in which um, there's a discrepancy between Field's testimony and Karen Swallow Pryor's testimony um, regarding the text messages. And I'm, I'm forgetting right now what it was. Maybe you can help me with that. Yeah, that section was... The, the reason that Karen gave for not notifying the Bucks when she became aware that someone was in possession of the rough draft and was potentially going to publish it. The reason she gave to the Bucks in, in one of those clips was what I just stated. I didn't come to you, Tom, because frankly, I'm afraid of you. I'm literally scared of you. I consider you a bully. What Keith said, her boss, in another Zoom call, and Tom put this up on Twitter, when he talked to Karen about this issue and he was talking to her about why he didn't go to the box she didn't go to the box her stated reason according to keith whitfield was that she didn't think she was under any obligation to go to them mm -hmm. and then i think she also said and she was there, there was something additional that was a little bit like what karen had said but she never said in the first call directly to the box the zoom call she didn't say I was no under, under no obligation to notify you. That's not the reason she gave when she was asked. Those are conflicting stories, as is the story concerning who she sent the rough draft to. And this is a very important thing, too. She said, well, okay, I know this is complex, but uh, on April 19th, Danny Aiken sent a letter to the elders at FBC Lindale, which is Tom Buck's church, and in that letter, there was a statement from Karen Swallow Pryor, and there was a statement from Keith Whitfield. She said in that statement, in that letter, that she had sent the rough draft to prospective publications, plural. When they asked her about it on the Zoom call, she said she didn't recall. She didn't know. Hmm. Now, again, this is why an investigation is needed. I'm not saying that nobody should ever have a lapse in memory. Certainly the older I get, the more of those I get. I understand that. But there are certain things that the Bucks believe just don't totally add up, which is the reason to look into it, to try to separate the true from the false and to try to get 
clarity on all of this and find out who the leaker actually was. Nobody wants to hurl any false accusations against anybody at all. It's all about sorting through this stuff and getting to the crux of it. Yes. In your time as a journalist, have you ever seen anything like this before? Boy, you know, I, I can say I've had my fair share of reporting complicated stories and certainly editing complicated stories. I have not been this involved in a story as a reporter that was as complex as this one. Mm -hmm. I will say the Driscoll story was pretty complex, but it didn't have as many moving parts. That was more a matter of uh, he plagiarized. Oh, hang on. He bought his way onto the New York Times bestseller list. Oh, hang on. Now he's posing on a, a, a website as William Wallace II and saying all kinds of horrible things. Oh, now his his own people who've worked with him and pastors at Mars Hill are coming forward and talking about how they were mistreated. That was kind of linear. Like this happened. Oh my, my word. Now this happened. Now this happened. No, I Buckgate is complex and that's why it's been so hard to boil it down mm -hmm. so people can understand, but we're really trying to do that because this is a big deal. If the SBC doesn't, if they really care about abuse survivors, they will put this on the front burner. Because this is diabolical, what's being done to these people, in my opinion. Now, in, in trying to follow along, and this is as an observer and someone who's praying for the Bucks and, and praying for you as you walk through this with them. You know, Gen Jennifer Buck's statement that I believe Tom posted yesterday, um, for me, was most powerful out of all of this. Um, I, I agree. Yep. And, and has had the most effect on my own heart. Um, and, and so and so those of you who haven't seen or I should say haven't heard or read Jennifer Buck's statement that Tom Buck posted on his Twitter account. This is a, a terrific summation of what has gone on and really how she has been mistreated and how her her story has been used to seek to destroy politically Tom Buck's ministry. Um, I, I think that that statement is is absolutely important in all of this and people need to go watch it. I agree. And thus far, maybe you've seen things that I haven't seen on Twitter, Justin, because I haven't gone through everything I could. But I have not seen any major SBC leader jump to their defense, ask questions, tell people we need to treat these people the same way we would treat anybody else in this situation. In fact, I put out something on Twitter just this morning about the sin of partiality because it really bugs me. I have seen this so many times where there will be moral outrage if the other guy on the other side of the political aisle does something. Mm -hmm. But if somebody in my tribe does it, uh, we'll just turn a blind eye. And I have seen people, I've seen conservatives do it, and I've seen liberals do it. And right now the liberals are doing it on steroids. And it is disgusting. It is disgusting. How can you claim to be a Christian and turn a blind eye to moral evil when you see it and you're, you're overlooking it for political purposes, to have power, to have control, to be able to run a denomination in the way you want to run it? and just stomp on people you want gone. And Tom Buck is one of the people they don't like. He's outspoken. He's been willing to speak out on issues they don't want, you know, revealed. Uh, all the stuff on CRT and intersectionality and revoice and all the rest. He's, he's, a, he's a problem for them. And so because 
Jennifer's last name is Buck. They don't care. That's disgusting. I don't know how you can face the Lord and commit that sin with a clean conscience. I don't know how you sleep at night when you watch that particular section of the video, like you mentioned, and watch Jennifer just that is such honest emotion and such pain. And that was exactly why I wanted to help them, because I thought anybody who would do to a woman what's been done to this woman deserves to be exposed, has to be exposed, I think, is as a moral good to expose. What do we go back to Ephesians? You know, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. I think that's one of these moments now. The bottom line is Jennifer Buck's private information only to Karen Pryor was leaked and distributed all over the SBC as an apparent attempt to discredit and disqualify, silence Tom Buck, to shut him up, to keep him quiet. Even among pagans, even among the world, this is not tolerated. And these men and women, as you said, claim and profess the name of Christ. And I keep going back to their conscience in all of this, the searing, the twisting, the distorting of their consciences, that is happening right now, the very fact that they've been able to rationalize all of this in their minds somehow as good and necessary is and, and scary. And, and as you noted, going back to, you know, to years past and in, in looking and in, in doing journalism within the SBC, you don't just suddenly end up at this point, you know, right. small decisions, small compromises have led to these larger compromises, which have led all of us here and the bucks here and the SBC, in my opinion, needs to clean house or this will continue to get worse. Absolutely right. I couldn't have said it any better. And you're spot on about it. There have been so many things that have been tolerated. And what does the word of God say about tolerating sin? Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we don't talk about that very much. Uh, it's very convenient sometimes for people to attack one another. You've sinned. You've wronged me. You must repent. And, you know, a lot of times they're right. But tolerating sin is also a sin. Yeah. Standing by when somebody is doing something unethical and refusing to hold them accountable, like so many people did when they had an unrepentant plagiarist as president of the SBC, Ed Litton. Where, where was the outrage over that? You think they would have put up with that if Tom Buck were a plagiarist? Or Tom Askell were a plagiarist? No. Not for five seconds. Mm. Not at all. Because all that matters is my side versus yours. I I just, I fear for these people. I really do. I hope and pray that they repent. Do you believe that repentance will ever take place or this will ever be resolved? Boy, I get asked that a lot. Honestly, I know the Lord can do anything. And nothing is too impossible for him. Amen. And I would never, ever be so, I would say, arrogant as to assume I know what the Lord's going to do here. Sometimes you just have to pray that prayer that seems impossible because the SBC has been historically such an important denomination. I know what difference the SBC and Southern Baptist Christians have made in my own life going back to when I was 18 years old. Some of the greatest Christians I've ever known are Southern Baptists. Some of the greatest preachers I've ever heard are Southern Baptists. God has used that denomination and, and its churches in amazing ways, in world missions and here in the United States, just in the life of a young college student like me. But when I consider that all of this that has been going on goes back many years, hmm. it seems to me, and I've said it to people this way, 
when the termites get in and eat away the foundation, does it really matter what new walls you put up? Amen. That's the problem. They need a whole new foundation. And we know who the foundation is. Christ Jesus. He himself is the cornerstone. If you don't have Christ as your cornerstone, and if you don't have your house built upon the rock, and you've built your house upon the sand, then when the storms come, your house is going to fall, and great will be the fall of it. That's what the Lord said. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I don't mean to hedge. I think it would be a miracle, to be honest with you, if the SBC turned around. Mm -hmm. But God has done miracles before. So I'm going to keep praying that right things are done. Repentance will occur. People who need to be rooted out of that denomination from top positions will be rooted out. We'll see. Okay. The gospel has reconciled uh, worst enemies before. I know. That's right. That's right. I was, I was uh, clearly God's enemy, the worst enemy of God's. And yet the gospel reconciled me to him. And if I can be reconciled to God, then I know that reconciliation can happen in all of this. Um, But be repentance and there needs to be a recognition of sin. And um, I think Daryl Harrison said it best on Twitter to either today or yesterday it's amazing that this completely unavoidable situation is still going on, thanks to people that we mention. I concur completely that their behavior is both disgusting and godless. A simple act of contrition would have satisfied the Bucks, who are the only offended party here. Let's just continue to pray for the Bucks, and I will continue to pray for you, Janet, as you follow along and, and poke and prod and question Um, your work is sorely needed. Thank you for joining me today. I appreciate the time, Janet, that you've given my humble little podcast. Like I said, um, if you end up coming out of retirement like Michael Jordan, you know, in 1995, (laughs) 1996, I think we'd all be very pleased. You're too kind, Justin. It's been my honor to be with you. Thank you so much for the invitation and I'll be praying for you and the continued success of your not little humble podcast, your great <laughs> podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. Thank you, sister.